let's pray again before we get into God's word. Lord, we, we know that it is uh, by your word that you spoke all things into creation, including our very selves, the same word that we are going to open up and read this morning. So Lord, we pray that through your word, as we gaze upon what you have done and who you are, ultimately in your son Jesus, we pray that you would deliver us into his death and raise us to new life, that you would encourage us this morning and convict us, uh, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would do your work in us and be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as Andrew said, my name's Matt. I'm a pastoral resident, and apparently I'm getting kicked out soon, Um, but... I hope you're doing well. I just want to start out by taking um, a quick poll, so we're going to find out who is both uh, honest and brave this morning. Uh, I'm going to take a quick poll, and I'm going to ask four different things, and they're going to be, has this happened to you this week statements? Um, So usually it's kind of awkward to turn around in the church and look at one another, but I think this is a good thing. Um, So I'm going to ask these, raise your hand proudly if this has happened to you this week, and feel free to look around the congregation and see who this has (laughs) happened to as well, and you can like wave at people while your hands are up, whatever you want to do. So, uh, first thing, um, would you raise your hand if you experienced joy because of your faith in Jesus this week? All right, all right, good. We have a good start. All right, how about this one? Would you raise your hand if you were reminded this week that because of your faith in Jesus, you are saved and you can be forgiven when you screw up? All right, we're doing good, we're doing good. All right, we're going to start throwing curveballs, so get ready. Would uh, you raise your hand if your faith in Jesus led you to lose a relationship with a family member or friend this week? All right, much less people, much less people. And the last one, would you raise your hand if your faith in Jesus led to you suffering significantly this week? So if you look around, there's a lot less of us. Thank you for those of you that did participate. You might be wondering why I did that, and as we get into it, you'll understand more. I promise the point is not just to depress you before we even start the sermon. Um, But what we've been doing, if you're just joining us, is we've been cruising through uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call uh, portraits of faith. So we've been looking at different biblical characters in the storyline and their faith and the characteristics of that faith. And, and how we can learn from their lives to follow God more faithfully. But I, I think as we've been doing this, no matter how hard it's, it's preached from the pulpit, it's really hard for us not to put these people we've been reading about on a pedestal. It's really hard not for us to look up at them. I mean, right, their names are recorded in God's inspired word. And we read about the amazing things that God has done through and to these people And I would say for me, and and probably for many of us here, it's really easy to develop an unhealthy expectation that because we follow Jesus, then the outcome of our life should be generally positive. And for much of the case that we read in Scripture, that's simply not true. And as Andrew prayed earlier, and I do agree that Jesus came to bring us life and bring it in abundance, we realize that for those of us that are living in this room, which is all of us, that our day-to-day experience, I hope all of us, uh, our day-to-day experience, our life is really messy. Like, it's not clean-cut. It is not all a positive experience. We experience loss. We, we break relationships. We find ourselves struggling with the same old sin patterns 
from day to day, and we keep looking to God, wanting him to take those away from us. And at other times, we find ourselves struggling for reasons outside of our own control. So what I'm trying to say is despite us wanting to follow Jesus and for everything to be sunshine and daisies and happiness, our lives betray us and we realize that following Jesus is a lot more complicated than that. And so that's why I'm really excited for the guy we're looking at today. We're going to look at Moses. And one of the things that's so cool about Moses is his life wasn't that clean cut. It wasn't clean and shiny without speed bumps. In fact, if you read Exodus 1 through 12 and the rest of the book of Exodus, we find that Moses' life was pretty screwed up. And with, where with other people, we see, that the benefits of, uh, we see the benefits of living a life of faith in God. With Moses, we see that faith often costs us something. And so that's going to be what we're going to look at today. If you don't know who Moses is, here's kind of a a few point rundown. So Moses is this guy who was born an Israelite, and at a very young age, his parents shipped him down the river in order to avoid uh, persecution, and he is adopted by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's daughter. And as he grows up, he is called by God to take his people, the Israelites, and lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he says, you have to let my people go. And from that point, we see essentially this war going on between Egypt and Israel and God and Pharaoh. And for those of us that do know the story, we know that eventually the Israelites are liberated and the people are set free as God is faithful to them. And I get that's the simplified version for those that have read Exodus 1 through 12, but that should be sufficient for us to understand what's going on this morning. And so what we're going to look at is four characteristics of how our faith is costly. But I don't just want us to stop there. Like I said in the beginning, I don't want us to just be depressed. So I, I want us to understand that despite the, faith, that the fact that our faith is costly, as we consider this, as we, as we look at Moses' life and we look at our own life, I want us to realize that ultimately Jesus is worth that cost that following Jesus is completely worth it. So I want to invite you to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, We're going to look at verses 23 through 28. That's, uh, if you're new to the Bible, the far right side, page 1008 in the Pew Bible. So why don't we stand um, in honor of God's word, and I will read it if you will follow along intently, and we will get into it this morning. So it says this, By faith Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. All right, thanks. You can have a seat. Thank you for standing up. Let's start our exploration of the text. Let's look at verse 23 one more time. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So this is really interesting. Our first characteristic of why faith is costly is going to not just start with Moses, but it's going to start with Moses' parents. So the first thing, the first point this morning to remember is that faith in God is costly because it may end up with us being called to take our risk for his glory. 
One more time, faith in God is costly because that cost is often taking a risk for his glory. So I want to say what I don't mean first. What I don't mean is that we should uh, engage in risky behavior and use our faith in order to cover that up. Right? God doesn't call us to make unwise decisions. Risks does not equal unwise or foolishness. But what I am saying is that if we're following Jesus, then we have to be prepared to risk everything. As John Piper puts it, uh, by removing eternal risk, Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. So we see Moses' parents taking drastic steps in order to protect his life. For those of us that are parents in the room, you understand this quite well. And for those of us, including myself, that aren't parents, I'm sure we can look to either our own parents or the parents of people that we know and understand what it would mean to put your life on the line for somebody. But when we look at Moses' parents, I think we need to look past the fact that this could be just paternal or maternal instinct. It is certainly that, but I think it is more than that. What's going on is they're taking a risk for what they believe. For them, Moses' life is the risk that is worth taking. His life is worth more than the threat of death that Pharaoh had put on the Israelite males. And to add, let's be realistic about what we're reading. When it says they were not afraid of the king's edict, I don't think that means they didn't have feelings, and I don't think that means they weren't thinking about their decisions. What I believe this is saying is that they weren't characterized or marked by a fear of man, but they were marked, their lives, and this decision was marked because they were characterized by a fear of God. So their fear of God led them to take a risk for God. Let's think about this for a moment. If you reflect on, our, uh, on your life, if we reflect on all of our lives, I'd be willing to bet that in the past week, if not the past day, if not this morning, that we have, taken, that we have thought through, we, are, are, we have made a decision that was marked by a fear of man. We made a decision because we we're afraid of something other than God. And this is why it's really, really important that we consider what our faith is in because the bigger the object of our faith, that is the bigger the thing that we believe in, the bigger ultimately the risk that we're going to be willing to take for that thing. Let's think of a couple examples. Um, it was rainy this morning, so you, most of you drove here uh, in your cars, okay? And, and in light of eternity, despite what some people may think, a car is really not a big deal, Okay, and you had enough faith, despite this object being relatively small in light of eternity, you had enough faith in your car to take the risk, to put the key in, and turn it on. I know some cars are a little fancier than that, but most of us still have keys. And so you, you put it in, and you had enough faith to turn it on. So that is not a huge thing in light of the rest of our lives, but it was small enough and big enough that you were willing to take that risk. But let's use a bigger and probably more emotional example for a lot of us now. Let's consider the faith of radical Islamic terrorism around our world. Let's think about what their faith is in. Their faith is in a, a misconception about who God is and what he has called them to in their mission and the rewards that they will receive if they follow along with that mission. So this false conception is no small thing in light of eternity because the risk that they're willing to take is not only on their own lives, but on the lives of other people. 
So can you see the difference here, the dichotomy here, that the bigger the object of faith that we, are, that we are believing in and trusting in, the bigger the risk we might take for them. This is why it's so important that our faith be in Jesus, because he is the only being that is consistently good and trustworthy. So when we take a risk for Jesus, we know that it's a risk worth taking. So practically, number one is your faith in Jesus because there's a huge potential for the risks that you take to be extremely dangerous if your decisions are not based upon him. And number two, if your faith is in Jesus, are there risks, risks that he is calling you to take? They could be big risks or they could be small risks. They could be risks of him having you step out to do something new or risks of him saying, you need to trust me and stay exactly where you're at. So when he calls you into those risks, and he certainly will if you're following him, then will you respond like Moses' parents? Will you have more fear of God than fear of man? Let's keep going. Verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So now we've moved from Moses as child. Now Moses is a big boy and he's making his own decisions. So he's at this place now of being an adult, and he wants to identify himself with his Israelite heritage instead of his Egyptian upbringing. So our second point is that living a life of faith in God may require us to sacrifice status for his sake. So following God may lead us to sacrifice status. For Moses, this looked like being loyal to, uh, to God and his people instead of Egypt and their people. And for the record, that is no small thing. That is no small thing at all. When you consider how big the empire of Egypt was, it was one of, if not the biggest, empire in the region at that time. If we consider the fact that when we discovered King Tut's tomb, and King Tut lived not all that long after the Exodus, we found thousands of pounds of pure gold in his tomb. That's the kind of luxury that Egypt had to offer its people in power. And this is what Moses is passing up on when he chooses to identify with the Israelites. Church, the reality of sacrificing status and loyalty to God and other people, this should resonate with us. Our lives are, are built upon this. The narrative we live by, how often do we live into this? What would people think if blank? Like how often are our decisions dictated by that? We live in a narrative where we're trying to keep face. And that's not all a bad thing. I would say to be perceived in a, a positive light, to be loved and to be known and to be respected, those are all good things. We are made in God's image. And as people that are made in God's image, we deserve dignity from other people, and we're not always given that. But here's what's crazy, here's what's crazy, is when God first talked to Pharaoh, he talked to him out of a burning bush, which is an odd situation in and of itself, but when we think about this, whatever God, or whatever Moses saw in God was big enough, was profound enough, was significant enough that saving face no longer became his priority. He saw what God had to offer him and believed it was better, as it said, than the fleeting pleasures of sin. I love that line. Here's a question for you. How many things in our lives are fleeting? 
The answer should be almost everything in your life is fleeting. Paul puts it this way, that we come into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. If your emotional response to what I just said was to try and figure out what is fleeting and what is not, then you may be holding on too tightly to certain things. So church, are you willing to suffer the loss of your status instead of sin? More practically, is there something in your life that competes for value with Jesus, that brings you away from Jesus? Because when we look at Moses, he was willing to exchange the name son of Pharaoh's daughter for the name child of God. So could there be a name he's asking you to sacrifice in your own life? And I, to say a name is kind of a, a weird phrase, so we'll say, could there be an identity that you are living into right now that he's asking you to sacrifice, that he wants to let die in order that you will grow to know yourself more as a child of God? Let's keep going. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is so good. So now Moses' parents were, were living, not being afraid of the king protecting him, and now Moses himself is protecting his people, not being afraid of the king. He's ignoring the threat of the repercussions for following God. Just how indicative is that of our human experience, right? We always think about the consequences of the actions that we're going to take. And that's not bad. I think risk management, making wise decisions, as I said, is a good thing. But how much are those decisions, like I said, dictated by a fear of man instead of fear of God? If when we have to make a decision to follow God... We second-guess ourselves because we're afraid of something else. We don't want to suffer the consequences over here of what that decision might lead us to. Then whatever is striking fear in us is actually what is our God. And God is not being our God. He is there for us and we are neglecting him. Here's the reality, friends. We have to realize that our faith in God may lead us to sacrifice relationships, jobs, money, our lives, so this is our third point. I, I marked it as leaving things behind, that the cost of following God might look like leaving things behind in the pursuit of him. Let's take Jesus' words. He says it like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks the terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Renouncing all that you have. This is the heart of the gospel, that we are willing to renounce all things and the gift that we are looking for, the good news of Jesus, is that because of him, we don't get things we get God. 
And for us in America, this is quite a, a tough thing. I think under the radar, we struggle with this because in our country, on the one hand, we are able for the most part to function as Christians. We can get together freely, which is something that we should value, but we are able to get together freely on Sundays to worship God. We are able to meet in community groups during the week and read scripture. And then on this hand, we are still able to, in some way, function according to what we would call the American dream. We are able to have good jobs, good families. We're able to make a living, have a house. And we can function and we don't have to choose one or the other in our country very often. But for our brothers and sisters overseas and for those that have experienced the church overseas, the, the reality of having to choose one or the other is extremely real. And then there's this line in here. Enduring as seeing him who is invisible. This is, for me, this is my favorite part of the text. The illustration that this paints, just think of it, just think of it for a minute, that, that Moses is so undone. He comes, he comes into contact with God, and God tells him, you need to go to Pharaoh and say that God said, let my people go. And so he's so undone by Pharaoh that he goes into his presence and looks him in the eye and looks at the visible king and tells him that the invisible king says that my people are leaving. It is a, a huge illustration. It's almost comical, it's so profound to me. So what's the point? What's the point of what I'm saying? It's, it's simply this. If we have to leave things behind in pursuit of God, what things or people in your life are bringing you closer to God and what things are taking you away from God? what things stir your affections for your creator, and what things take his place. If there's things that bring you closer to God, then I would encourage you to continue to bring them with you on your journey. But if there are things that are taking you away from him, as Hebrews 12 says, let us lay aside every weight. I'd encourage you to put it down, because in the long run, it is not gonna help you, it is only gonna let you down. So are you following the invisible God, leaving things behind as necessary, as Moses did, as if you could see him? That is, that is what I would say is the definition of spiritual confidence, that we follow a God who we can't see as if we can see him. And then the final verse, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So clearly, this is talking about the Passover. If you don't know uh, what the Passover is, so what happened is when God went to war with Pharaoh in Egypt, he sent 10 plagues. And the Passover is the event of the last plague where God says, I am going to kill all of the firstborn. So, Moses, or so Pharaoh, in the beginning of the story, threatens all the Israelite uh, firstborn, and now God is going to take out the firstborn of Egypt in retribution. But he says to Moses, he says, tell the people to kill a lamb and to paint lamb's blood over their doorposts so that when I come, that death will pass over you and you'll be saved. And if that was your first time hearing that, you're probably more confused than you were like 20 seconds ago. But, but this is what you need to know, is that if there is anyone, if there's anyone that should trust God at this point, it is Moses. And this is funny because when we read Moses' story in Exodus chapter 3, he tried to get out of it. He tried to make an excuse for why he couldn't go to Pharaoh and lead God's people. 
By now he had watched, by now in the storyline, by the Passover, he'd watched God rain plagues on Egypt. He had watched God work miracles and step in on behalf of his people. He had seen God be utterly faithful. And now Moses was to lead the people in painting lamb's blood over their doors so that they would be saved from God's wrath. For those of us that are familiar with that story, we can even recognize how extreme that moment must have been. It's, it's something that we certainly don't do. I didn't wake up this morning and paint lamb's blood on my door. We are called to do something different. We are called to trust in Jesus, the, the, one who, the lamb who spilt his blood for our salvation. But let's ask the question, in that moment when, when God said, this is what you have to do, how did Moses know that God would come through for them? How could he know? Or maybe could he even know that God would come through for them, that he could trust God? I would say Moses knew the same way that we know that God will come through for us because we had seen him do it time and time again in our past. When Moses thought of this, he almost certainly would have thought of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the people that we have been reading about in Hebrews chapter 11. And for us, it certainly includes them and includes the rest of the people in these 1,042 pages, at least of my Bible, book. Ultimately, climaxing in trusting in Jesus, the ultimate remembrance of what God has done for us. Faith is not blindly going forward. We've been talking about this. So the final point for us this morning is we see that living a life of faith looks like looking backwards while walking forwards. That we are looking back at what God has done and we are moving forwards towards him in pursuit. So believer, here's something for us to consider. Is what God has done in our past sufficient for us to trust him with our futures? We find this out in, in one of two ways, or both ways. So we find, the first way we find this out is by reading Scripture. We need to open up our Bibles. This is the most, histor- the most significant historical document that exists in all of creation, talking about God's love for his people and what he has done for us and what he expects of us and how we follow him. But another way we do this is by looking at our own personal stories. So often we look back, and it's only then that we see how God worked in our life. So we look back at our personal story and look at those moments of grace in our life. An unbeliever, if you're here and you, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, the question stands that if what the, this book says is true, if what this book says is true, then is the God that this book talks about, the God that we are here singing to this morning, is he trustworthy? So often for us that, that uh, at one point didn't know Jesus, we're, it's easy to be informed by our culture that whatever Christians believe, whatever it says about God in, in the Bible, the Bible is untrustworthy, God is untrustworthy, Christians are hypocritical, and we, we certainly are, we definitely fall short at times. But if you want to know who Jesus is, then open up the scriptures for yourself and read them. That goes for believer and unbeliever alike. As we, as we take communion this morning and as the worship band uh, comes up, I want us to, to shift away from Moses for a second. Let's, let's take all that stuff we just talked about, all the risks, the costs of our faith, and put them right here, put them in the back of our minds, and let's shift to Jesus. Because when we talk about the cost of faith, 
it's really significant for us to remember that the cost of our salvation was Jesus' life. We've looked at Moses and how he was told that by the lamb's blood that, that God's people would be saved from death. And we've talked about how Moses led the people out from slavery in Egypt. And now let's consider Jesus because he's the most powerful reminder when we look back to what God has done to motivate us to follow God in the future, Jesus is our most powerful reminder because he is the lamb, as I said, who shed his blood to save us from death. And he is the better Moses. He's the better Moses who didn't just lead his people out from slavery in Egypt, but he leads his people out from slavery to sin. Church, do you believe that you're no longer slaves to sin? For those of you that don't know Jesus, the question stands that what, whatever you're believing in, whatever you're making your God, that person or that thing, you certainly have a God that you're trusting in. I've said it time and time again, and it will certainly lead you to take risks. So are those risks worth the cost of believing in those other things? And will they lead you to fulfillment in the end? There's no better time to, to trust in Jesus and to renounce those things than, than right now. And church, as we take the bread and the juice this morning, I want us to remember what we've heard and consider the big question. We've talked about the cost of faith. Let's consider whether what God has done in our past is sufficient for us to trust him with our future. Because when we recognize that our faith is costly, when we acknowledge that, and we acknowledge that to our world and to one another and to ourselves, and we continue to press on, knowing that our faith in Jesus is costly, then it shows a broken world who is in desperate need of Jesus where our allegiances truly lie. Let's pray. Lord, we know that uh, you have called us into the abundant life of following you, but it's, it is not that easy. It is not as plain and simple of that, as that. We, we struggle, we suffer, we continue to struggle with the same sin, and yet you have come to set us free, and we trust and believe that you will set us free from the things that are less pretty in our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we look upon those things, that we wouldn't be captured by them, but we'd be captured by the ways that you have moved on those things in the past. We pray that we would be captured with your glory and be motivated to follow you in deeper obedience and in, in deeper faith, that although faith is costly, you are worth the cost because you are God and you have, you have died on our behalf and risen again. And so, Lord, we, we look to you this morning, and we pray that you would do that in our hearts, that while it may be painful, the things that we experience, Lord, we, we want to be like Moses, knowing that you will come through for us because of what you've done in Jesus. Lord, we surrender to you, and we pray that you would do that in and among us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.